We come this morning to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and I don't know of two chapters in Scripture that are more appropriate for the day we live in. The words that position the entire book of Revelation in its proper context. I've entitled the message this morning, Throne Room Worship. Throne Room Worship. Really, true worship is throne room worship. And what these two chapters contain is an invitation to you and to me to come in and enjoy throne room worship. If you've never experienced throne room worship, these two chapters will be eye-opening. They're going to be, um, they will seem almost like a stretch, like, wow, what is going on here? But these two chapters describe the norm for worship. Chapter 1 introduces us to the exalted Christ. Chapters 2 and 3, the victorious church. But chapter 4 and 5 is the invitation for the church to enter into throne room worship. And without understanding throne room worship, you will never understand the book of Revelation. Now in two weeks, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we begin to unfold the coming events, the final events of history. That's what's contained in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, the angel says, come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. And that begins the book of Revelation. Well, in chapter 6 is when we begin to see what must take place after this. The, the real prophecy in, in terms of foretelling begin with Revelation 6. So the first five chapters set up the book. So clearly the first five chapters are the introduction to the book. Now when you think about this, this is more than 20%, more than 20% of the book of Revelation is designed to set up the rest of the book. And it all culminates with throne room worship. Uh, turn with me, if you've got your Revelation journal, it's page 18 in the journal or if you've got your own uh, Bible, it's Revelation chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. See, this is what I'm telling you. This is, this is now what was promised in chapter 1 is now beginning to unfold, but it doesn't... What, what is yet to take place after this, we don't get to until chapter 6. These two chapters are the setup for the, what is yet to take place. And what sets it up, what prepares us to understand what is going to happen at the end of time is throne room worship, just as it set up John to be able to hear these words. Now, it, again, after this I looked, and behold, I want you to circle the word behold in verse 4. You come to it again in, in verse 2. So verse 1, 
behold, verse 2, behold. Uh, The word behold is used 26 times in the book of Revelation. Every time you come to behold, you're about to be introduced to something you could not have seen before. This is fresh revelation. The word behold is an activating word. And um, that's why you want to circle it. So uh, John's saying behold, and he's saying it to himself, but he's saying it to us, the readers and the hearers. So we behold with him. And do not think for a moment that what's recorded here in Revelation 4 and 5 was just for John. The reason he was told to write it down is because this is for us. The behold is for you and for me. And what they're beholding, what John is beholding, what he's sending to the seven churches to behold, and what he's given through them to us to behold is fresh revelation. And the specific revelation that we're given is of the throne. Again, verse 2. And behold, I was in the Spirit, and before me a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. The word throne is used 39 times in the book of Revelation. Next to verse 2, you can put 39. And 18 of those times is in these two chapters, Revelation 4 and 5. Throne, throne, throne. Before the throne, under the throne, around the throne, on the throne. You you find all these participles describing different aspects. Throne, 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 throne. That's what we come to here in, in this book. We've got this throne and one seated on it. Now, in an election year, and one as goofy as this one, you've got to admit, it's great to know that there is a throne. There is one throne and there's one seated on it. Yes. And he's not up for re-election. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, now I, this is so powerful. The, toward the end of Revelation 3, verse 21, it says, the, uh, okay, so Jesus is speaking. He says, I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So, okay, so which is it? Who's on the throne? The father or the son? It's a trick question. The answer is yes. Yes, he is. Because there's one God and he's on the throne. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. So whoever you see on the throne is the father and the son. You're you're, you're never going to see the one without the other on the throne. They share it. And if you needed anything to believe in the deity of Christ, there it is. It's irrefutable. You, 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 if you talk with a neighbor, a friend, a business associate who does not believe in the deity of Christ, show them the, the scripture. It is absolutely irrefutable. It, it, the, 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 the deity of Christ, the fact that Christ is God, is not based on one little scripture that they could be overturned by some translation. This is an irrefutable fact. If you believe the Bible, you've got to believe in and understand the deity of Christ. So here we've got the one seated on the throne. Now, next we are introduced to two remarkable groups of people. The first are 24 elders. The 24 elders, most likely, and I I don't know anybody that disagrees with this, most likely they refer to the 12 patriarchs or the leaders of the, uh, the, the old covenant, and the 12 apostles of the new covenant. 
And so you've got here this, this panorama of those who were redeemed uh, in the Old Testament and those who were redeemed in the New Testament. The leaders of both groups are there in worship. Then we come to the four living creatures. Now these guys are a little unusual. One had an appearance like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, and one like an eagle. These really are not difficult. What they are are the leaders or the, the chiefs of the four aspects of creation. The lion, the ruler over wild animals and known as the noblest of all. The ox, the ruler of domestic creatures and the strongest of all. Man, the ruler of all creatures and presumably the wisest of all. And the eagle, ruler over the air and the swiftest of all. Now, these four living creatures cry out in unison, and it says they never stop doing it. Holy, holy, holy. Say it with me. Holy, holy, holy. Keep it going. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. They, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy means separate. Holy means separate. They're de declaring the, the supremacy, the, the separateness. There is the incomparability of God. Hallelujah. And the incorruptibility of God. Hallelujah. He is holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So all the leaders of all the redeemed of all time are crying holy. And the, the, the four living creatures representing all of creation are crying holy. That's the first song of five. Holy, and it's the big one. It's the high one. Holy, it's the high praise of God for his elevated position. Then we come to the second song, sung by the 24 elders, and they sing, worthy, worthy, worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. So in chapter 4, what we find is throne room worship to God the Creator. Throne room worship to God the Creator. I need to show two words here, holy and worthy. They sound a little similar in English, but in Greek, they're almost identical. Holy in Greek is hagios, hagios. I'd have you say it, but you might spit, spit on the person in front of you. Hagios. <clears throat> Worthy is the Greek word hoxios. Hagios, hoxios. Hagios, 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 hoxios. Now, hoxios is only used once in chapter 4, but it's then used two times in chapter 5. So we could say hoxios, or worthy, is used three times. Holy is used three times. Hagios, 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 holy, worthy, worthy, holy, holy, worthy. What a powerful declaration of creation to the Creator, declaring His holiness and His worthiness. The word worthy means commensurate, it means proportionate, it means deserving. He's des he deserves it. There's nothing worse than, than giving a person a position of honor or, or power who's not worthy of the position. Yeah. It's unthinkable. 
Well, this is saying he's not only on the throne, he deserves to be on the throne. And he deserves our praise. Now, that's chapter four. It's throne room worship to God the creator. Now we come to chapter five. Chapter five is throne room worship to God the redeemer. Two songs to the creator in chapter four, three songs to God the redeemer in chapter five. But before we get to the songs in chapter five, we come to this, a crisis. There's drama. Just when we thought, well, this is the throne room. How can there be anything wrong or any issues in the throne room? There there develops an issue. Now look at verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written in uh, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now this scroll is like a parchment. It's a rolled up piece of paper. It's what they used to use instead of binding in books, everything was in scrolls. So it wasn't bound like this, it was round up, wound up like this. Uh, you're familiar with, with scrolls. Uh, they use them for f- formalities and so forth. But the seals, these are not seals like the animals you see at the zoo. This isn't, you know, this, that's not, we don't have seven seals here. These aren't barking sea lions or seals. These are, these are stamps, seven stamps put on the scroll periodically, like there would be some written on both sides and then it would be sealed as it's wound up. And then they'd write some more and they'd seal it seven times to unfold the unfolding of what's in the scroll. So that's what a seal is. Now, it's not till we get to chapter six that that these seals are being opened. Chapter six, seven, and eight, we will see what happens to this scroll. But there's a crisis in heaven because, listen, no one is found worthy to take the scroll and open the seals to unfold what's written on it. Now, to understand the crisis, you need to understand what's written on the scroll. Unquestionably, the scroll contains the final events of world history. Because when it's open, that's what you get to. We'll get to it in two weeks from now as we unfold chapters 6, 7, and 8. We're going to see these cataclysmic, terrifying events that are going to take place in our world and some of which and many of which are already at work in our world but we're going to see them so some people have have mistaught this passage as if the scroll is scripture it's not scripture this is history but it's on par with scripture because just as Uh, Jesus said, uh, nothing's going to pass away from what's written in in the scroll of Scripture, so nothing's going to pass away from what God sovereignly wrote in the scroll of history. So it's on par with Scripture, but it's not Scripture. This contains, it really contains tomorrow's news. You, You have to wait till you wake up to find out what happened, 
this is what happened, and you, don't, you can read it before you go to bed. This, is, this contains, for our benefit, the final events of history, and that's what we're going to get to in the, in the days to come. So that's, that's the crisis in heaven. No one is found worthy. Well, John responds to this news that no one's found worthy in verse 4. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. I mean, this would be a crisis. This would be a, a crisis of major proportion if, if somehow um, that scroll should fall into the wrong hands or that scroll would somehow be impossible to open so we'd get stuck like, like on replay. We, we kept hitting the, that spot where it, we, just, we just get stuck in history and nothing moves forward. That was the crisis. And it says here, John wept loudly. This was not a little... <laughs> no, this is a... Wah! This is like he's pouring out his guts. This is not a whimper. This is a wail. He's wailing. This is serious business. Now... I don't mean to be rude, but I've got to tell you, some of you here today are wailing when you look at the news and listen to things. You think, you think the scroll has fallen into the wrong hands. Pardon me, but shame on you. Yes. Read your Bible. This tells us, in fact, it says, no one in heaven is worthy, no one on earth is worthy, that means if the other guy gets elected, it's still going to be okay because he can't take the scroll. And I got news for you. you can't, your guy can't take the scroll either. Hallelujah. So, so. And, oh, I love this part. It says, no one in heaven is worthy. No one on earth is worthy. And no one under the earth. That's the demons. That's the bad guys. No big demon is going to come and grab the scroll either. So if you've been sour over what's happening in our nation, you need to read your Bible. The demons don't have the scroll, hallelujah, and they never will. They never will. They never will. Hallelujah. Oh, this is powerful. By the way, you know, John was crying loud. The verse before, it says the angel told him in a loud voice. The word loud appears in Revelation 22 times. Loud. You know how many chapters there are in, in Revelation? 22. 22 times it says loud. So if you don't like me preaching loud, just get over yourself. Yeah. Loud. <clears throat> and by the way, heaven is going to be loud. Yeah. You know, we, we think it's going to be a bunch of, like a library. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> Forget that. It's going to be Grand Central Station. It's going to be, you know, uh, uh, just wherever you think the, the masses of people congregate, that's the way it's going to, there's not going to be any social distancing, that's for sure. Hallelujah to that. And it's going to be loud. 
And by the way, it's an angel that announced this. Angels appear 76 times in the book of Revelation. And let me just tell you a couple things about angels you, you may have never thought about before. There's no nervous angels. You'll never find a nervous angel. Hallelujah. If you ever get nervous, remind yourself there's no nervous angels. There's no discouraged angels. There's no depressed angels. There's no disobedient angels. There's no complaining angels. They never complain. There's no unbelieving angels. Every angel, and there's no passive angels. You'll never see when I'm sleeping. Our picture of angels is like those chubby little uh, shrimpy, they look like uh, swollen uh, Pillsbury doughboys. <laughs> they look like dumplings. You know, fat and squat about the size of a bumblebee. Mm, like a drone or a tiny drone or something. Forget that. J angels are huge. Yes. They're huge. John, we're going to see him. He's going to fall down and worship a, or try to worship a couple of them. And the, and the angels are going to say, don't worship me. I'm bigger than you are, but you don't worship me. You worship the big guy. Oh, don't worship me. Hallelujah. I'm just a little guy in comparison. <laughs> Hallelujah. They're huge. And they're always worshiping. Yes. They know why they were made. They're, they're, they're strong. Active, and they're, they're always, they're not only always on the go, they persevere through anything. They, they, they love a fight. They don't start fights, but they never back down. They win. They're winners. Hallelujah. You got to love the angels. But don't let them distract you. Don't, don't get distracted. Enjoy them. Benefit from them. Learn from them. Let them exhort you. And if the angels aren't worried, I don't need to be worried. That's all good stuff. But then, here he comes. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, there's another one, circle it. Verse 5, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, the next description needs a little explanation. It says he has seven horns. Don't worry about it. They're not real horns. Seven eyes. That would look disgusting. Don't worry about it. It's not real eyes. And seven spirits. Don't worry. There are not seven holy spirits. Let me explain. Let's start with the spirits. The seven spirits refer to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is on Christ, no question. The seven eyes means he's all-knowing. He sees everything at the same time. It's not like when you see Jesus, he's going to look like this crazy monster with eyes all over the place. It represents the fact that he's, he's, he, nothing escapes him. And then the seven horns, he doesn't have, I mean, that would be gross. You know, who wants to see Jesus with horns coming out of his head? They're, they're not horns, but a horn is authority, and seven horns means all authority, the completeness encompassed in one. 
And by the way, in Revelation chapter one, it's the only place you'll find it in the whole Bible, Jesus is identified as the ruler of the kings of the earth. It's one of my favorite names for Jesus. The ruler of the kings of the earth. And that's what's represented by the seven horns. Hallelujah. Well, here he is. He's called a lion and he looks like a lamb. Hallelujah. This, by the way, you should write in the margin. I think it's page 20 in your uh, journal. Put in the margin there next to verse six, a number two. This is the second revelation of Christ in the book of Revelation. There are seven. We're going to identify all of them as we work our way through. The first revelation of Christ is found in Revelation 1, of course, but here in chapter 5, it's the second revelation of Christ. Now, okay, so here he is. He takes the scroll. He won't open it until chapter 6, but right away, what we see now are three songs. The first song is, is in a sense, two choirs really a choir of, of 24 and a quartet. So the four living creatures and the 24 elders join together and they sing this song. It's gotta be one of my all-time favorites. I hope it's your favorite. Worthy are you to take this scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. One of the all-time great songs sung by a quartet and a choir. And here they are praising the throne room worship. They haven't left the throne room. There they are in the throne room declaring the Redeemer. The next song is sung by the angels. And we've said a few things about the angels. We described them a little bit. But let me say here, it clearly says, it says 10,000 times 10,000. You multiply 10,000 times 10,000, you get 100 million. What this means is there are at least 100 million angels. Think about that, at least. There could be 100 billion, but there's at least 100 million that we know about. Hallelujah. We don't need to exaggerate how many there are. We know there are at least 100 100 million. And they're all joining together in singing. I love this one because it's the sevenfold. It begins, worthy, hoxion, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive, and here's the seven, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Hallelujah. Think of that, a hundred million. Now talk about a choir. And these aren't little pipsqueaks, these are giants. Picture them, a hundred million giants singing in their loud voices this song. Hallelujah. What a throne room. And then, the last song is where we come in. You and I are going to be part of this song. Hallelujah. To him, oh, 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 watch this one. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See what I'm saying? There he is. Well, who is it on the throne? The Father or the Son? Yes. There they are. The Lamb is on the throne. The Father is on the throne. And, and it says all creatures. 
Look at it. In heaven, verse 13, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Imagine that. Even the demons are going to be allowed to chime in. You really wonder what's that all about. It's so going to be okay. It's, they're going to be chiming in. Hallelujah. And in the sea, even the, the sharks and the bluefish and tuna, the little sea anemones, the seahorses, they're going to be chiming in. And they're all going to be saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, you can't separate them. They're inseparable. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Hallelujah. And the four living creatures, again, these guys representing the top of all creation, the top of all creation, wild creatures, domestic creatures, humanity itself, and, and the birds of the air, and they're all, these, these four guys are going to all be saying, amen, <laughs> hallelujah, yes, yeah. amen means yes. You can get fancy with it, uh, but it really means yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. All creation's going to echo back, yes. All the redeemed, all the angels. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Five songs, five songs. These two chapters, now, now. Oh man, there's so much to, to, to gain from this. But church, in our day, there is nothing more important for us to get into our our habit into our lifestyle, into the way we operate, then to understand our primary reason for being on earth at this time is to minister to the presence of the Lord. It's to engage in throne room worship. You cannot take the throne room out of out of Revelation and, and understand anything in Revelation. If you're not a worshiper, if you're not a throne room worshiper, no matter how many books you read on the Revelation, you'll never understand it. The only ones that understand Revelation are the throne room worshipers. You'll never understand the throne and you'll never understand worship. And you'll never understand the book of Revelation until you come to an understanding that your calling on earth, your highest calling, if you're a mom or a dad, if you're a single person, it, 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 no matter what station in life, if you've if you got millions in the bank or you're struggling to get by, your economic status does not matter. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter uh, your background. It doesn't matter where you slept last night. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Your highest calling in our, on earth is to minister to the presence of the Lord. The Lord is the fire in the midst of his people, and we are here to minister to the presence. And, and this is not just on Sunday. This is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Our, when we get out of bed any morning, our number one assignment is to minister to the presence of the Lord, to minister to the fire. We will not make it through these last days unless we are throne room worshipers. Your, your perseverance, your obedience, your, your whole mindset is altered when you become a throne room worshiper. When you realize 
that God put you here. You may not be great at this, you may have failed at this, whatever, but on, on this, you're gonna go for it. God called you to be a throne room worshiper. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what Revelation four and five is all about. That's what sets up the whole rest of the book. It's a call to throne room worship. It's not just singing songs on Sunday. Oh, that was great music. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Don. It's more than that. It's not even about the songs we sing. It's not even whether we sing or not. It's not whether you have a good voice or not. God has called every one of us to enter in tomorrow morning when our day begins into throne room worship. To minister not to some imaginary God a billion light years out there, but to worship the God who sent his son into this world he created. Hallelujah. He is worthy. He is holy, 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 and he is worthy. Now, this... This whole throne room worship was triggered by two words, behold and come. Behold and come. Come is your invitation into throne room worship. And it's for you just as much as it was for John. God has taken the initiative. He's invited you to come and be a throne room worshiper. Hallelujah. Not only the word come, but behold. God wants to activate for you every day a revelation of the Lord. He wants to manifest himself to you. Don't just go on on faith in a God that you put your faith in uh, 25, 50 years ago. God wants to reveal himself to you today. Behold, behold, behold. Let's live in ongoing revelation from the Lord. And that revelation will never puff us up. That revelation will always lead us in true throne room worship. Hallelujah. Father, you fed us. We've walked our way through. Uh, We've done the best we can, but this morning we ask you to activate your word in us. Pour out your spirit in this place. Stir, Lord, the, the reality of throne room worship. That this will not be just a message on Sunday, but will be a daily reality. And Father, I can't think of anything we as a congregation need more than to be awakened to throne room worship in order to understand the events of our day, in order to be set no matter what happens in the days to come, to be able to walk in perseverance, in faithfulness, Nothing will prepare us better for what we face this next year, in the next five years, ten years, however long we have on earth. Nothing will prepare us better than throne room worship. Amen.